Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. This is how the church is to be built. It's to be built with the wisdom and power of the Spirit. Again, going back to the understanding that the church belongs to God. God has a plan for the church, and He intends to supply the wisdom and the power for the church to succeed. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 23, in a message titled, Building God's Temple. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, we're coming back to 1 Corinthians. And so, really, the first three and a half chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing the same thing all the way through. So, we're picking up where he is still addressing those who were dividing the church through pride and personal ambition. So we see in verse 21 that he refers all the way back to the beginning of the letter where he had called them out over the divisions they were stirring up within the church surrounding, so this is what the divisions were about, surrounding perceptions of who was the wisest or the most eloquent or the most intelligent of the leaders. And so just glance at verse 21 with me here in chapter three. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter, Cephas. So you see he's taking us all the way back to verse 12 of chapter one. So the message though of these verses is directed not to the individual members of the church per se, but to those who are overseeing the church. So, you know, it's so important to get the proper context when we read the scriptures. You know, when I was a young Christian, I would read through my Bible and there were certain verses that, you know, they were just powerful. They'd leap off the page, they'd stand out. And you're like, oh man, I love that verse. And that's great. That is, I think that's the way it is when you start. But as time goes on, and the more you read the scriptures, you start to put the pieces together and you realize, oh, okay. So this verse is connected to that verse. And then it's followed by this verse. And oh, it's saying something a little bit different than I thought. So the passage that we're looking at today I think generally speaking, and I've done the same thing, we teach this passage as though Paul's just talking to the rank and file person in the church. But it's important to understand that he's not doing that. Even though we want to find some application for all of us, Paul is addressing a very specific group of people here. He is speaking to the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, you know, anyone in that category, he's speaking to those who have been given by God the responsibility 
of building the church. And so we need to understand that first and foremost, that's who is being addressed here. And here the apostle gives a very stern warning to those who would exploit God's people and use the church for personal aggrandizement. That's really what he's talking about. And that's what we go back to when we're looking at this issue of division around these names. Peter, Apollos, Paul. And remember, I told you in the beginning, it wasn't like Apollos or Peter or Paul were actually involved in this. These were leaders in the church that were creating these categories and creating a division around these categories. But it was these leaders themselves that were benefiting from it in the sense that they were leading the group. And so it was giving them prominence. And that's what they were seeking after. So he's talking to those who would seek to move themselves and the church into the worldly category of the somebodies. Remember, we talked about this distinction, the nobodies and the somebodies. And and these people, they wanted to be seen as somebodies. In the church context, they wanted to be seen as somebodies, and they wanted to be seen in the larger community. They wanted the church to be recognized as, wow, these are really amazing people. Oh, they're so, they're so smart, and they're, they're just as eloquent as the top rhetoricians of the day. The rhetoricians were those guys who were very, very skilled in speech. And so, That's the background. So let's look at what Paul says. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. Now he's writing back to them at Corinth. He laid a foundation. Paul is the person who God used to start the church in that city. And we read about that in the beginning in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. So I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. So Paul lays the foundation. He establishes the church. He then moves on to continue his apostolic ministry. And there have been leaders that have been raised up within the church and appointed now to lead. So they are now building on the foundation that Paul has laid. But each one should build with care. Each one should build with care. Now, as we saw when we read, Paul is going to remind them that the church is the temple of God. Now, some leaders, even today, they treat the church like it's their own. And it's their own to do with what they wish. But Leaders can never forget that the church doesn't belong to us. The church belongs to God. And that's what Paul is reminding them of. And and that's why he's saying, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any other foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
So let's look at that for a moment. So Paul says, I laid the foundation. And what was the foundation that he laid? The foundation was Jesus Christ. Jesus was the foundation of the Corinthian church. Jesus is the foundation of every legitimate church. Every true church is built on the person of Jesus Christ. But there are other possibilities. It's possible to build a church on something other than Jesus Christ. Oh, of course, the name of Jesus is going to be associated with it because after all, it's a church, right? But Jesus is not the foundation. He's not the bedrock. He's not the ultimate reality or the supreme one within the church. What are some of the other possibilities? Well, some build the church on what you might call relevance. We're going to be known in the community as, as the most relevant church. Some build their churches around issues. Some build their churches around values. Some build their churches around causes. Some build their churches around personalities. And that was, the personality thing was a lot of what was going on in Corinth. So no matter how valid some of these things might be, I mean, obviously it's important to be relevant. You don't want to be irrelevant to people and not connect with them. There are important issues in the culture. There are legitimate values. There are valid causes. And God does use personalities, but they are not to be the foundation of the church. Christ alone is the foundation of the church. And that's what Paul did in Corinth. He laid the foundation. It wasn't Paul's church. It was the church of Jesus Christ in Corinth. And so remember, he says that they, they need to be careful how they build. And then he goes on and look what he says in verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So Paul says that as they're building, they're either building with gold, silver, and costly stones. That's the right material. Or some are building with wood, hay, and straw. Now, what are these? Well, the gold, silver, and costly stones represents God's wisdom. The wood, hay, and straw represents human wisdom. Remember, they were being very much attracted by human wisdom. And we see that here as we go a bit further into the verses. If anyone thinks he's wise in this world, let him become a fool that he might really be wise. So they were lifted up with pride. There, there was this intellectual pride, and these kinds of things that had crept in. Paul refers to this as wood, hay, and straw. So the gold, silver, precious stones, this is the wisdom and power of the Spirit. And this is how the church 
is to be built. It's to be built with the wisdom and power of the Spirit. Again, going back to the understanding that the church belongs to God. God has a plan for the church, and he intends to supply the wisdom and the power for the church to succeed. And those who seek after the wisdom and the power of God to build the church, those are the wise builders like Paul. Now, there are those also, though, that build with the wood, hay, and the straw. And this is the perishable material of human wisdom. And boy, if you, if you even did a cursory reading of church history, you could find so many examples where the church has deviated from the path of the wisdom of God over onto the path of human wisdom. And it never, ever ends well. It never ends well. I mean, I, th- I think of, you know, certain places in the world. I mean, if you go back to the 16th century in Europe, and you go back to what we know today as the Reformation, you go back and you see, say, for example, the church that, that was the work of the efforts of Martin Luther, or the churches that were connected to John Calvin. Those are the two most prominent names in, in the Reformation, although there are others. But you, you look back at those churches and even go another 150 years into the future, you look at the Wesleys and Methodism that was, came out of their efforts. And you see in the foundational stages of all of those churches, they were building with the right material. They were building with the wisdom and the power of God. But at some point in the history of these churches, they deviated from that and started to try to build on these other things. Human wisdom, charisma perhaps, human energy, human ingenuity. And those churches are known today, even though there's still a remnant of faithful people in those churches, but generally as denominations, they're known today as, as the mainline Protestant denominations. And they all have two features that are identical. They've all forsaken the wisdom of God by rejecting the biblical story, the truth of the Bible, and they've all died. They've all died. They only exist because back in their heyday, when God's blessing was on them, they purchased all kinds of property and built all kinds of churches. And, you know, they did amazing things back in those days. But today, all that's left are these hollow, empty cathedrals, things of that nature. Anglicanism is part of that. Episcopalianism is what it's called in America. But for the most part, they're dead. They're not only dead, they deny the very Christ who bought them. And it, it all began with a moving away from the wisdom and the power of the Spirit toward the perishable material of human wisdom. And so 
Paul goes on and here we see that he speaks of this day where their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through fire. So Paul is telling them, you need to be very careful that you're not building with these perishable things because there's going to be a day when God's going to test it all. And what's going to be tested will be the motives of those who were building. And some were building for the glory of God, truly, and some were building for the glory of themselves. And that's what's happening in Corinth. These people who the church has been entrusted to are now trying to build for their own glory rather than the glory of God. That's why they're being led into this infatuation with human wisdom and wanting to be seen as somebody in their respective communities. So Paul says that there's this this testing that will come. There's a day when when God's going to reveal what the real motives were behind these things. It's a very subtle thing. And it doesn't necessarily start this way, but it's a very subtle thing that a person in leadership can drift away from a pure motive of glorifying God to glorifying themselves. And I think the foundation for that is always pride. You know, there's something that we're tempted toward when, when we have success, we're tempted to somehow think that we're responsible for it. And then because we think we're responsible for it, we think, well, everything I think and do is right. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep going with that. That is the story of many churches today where men started out right. Their motives were right. They wanted to do this for the glory of God. I have a friend who is no longer in ministry, who started out with a pure desire to glorify God. And God blessed him extraordinarily in an amazing way. I remember talking to him in the early days of his ministry and he was really discouraged. At that time, he'd been, I don't know, maybe he'd been at it four or five years or something and he had a church of about 200 people and he just felt like a failure, wanted to give up. And I had been at it a bit longer than him, so he asked me for some advice. What did I think? Should he just give up? I said, no, man. You need to press through. You need to keep going. And he did. And nobody ever dreamed of what was on the other side of that pressing through. God poured out his spirit in an extraordinary way. 
extraordinary. Thousands upon thousands of people. Impact. Massive impact. I remember running into him during that season and when everything's just exploding. And I remember having a conversation with him and I was absolutely shocked at the arrogance that came from him. It was jarring. I mean, he just was telling me how great he was. And I was looking at him thinking, what has happened? And I think the look on my face told him because after our encounter, he came back to me about an hour later and said, man, I'm sorry. I don't know what's come over me. I don't know. I don't, you know, please forgive me for acting like that. I really sounded prideful, didn't I? (laughs) My friend, that's an understatement. (laughs) You sounded like the devil himself. I want to ascend above the throne of God. I want to be like the most high. I mean, it was crazy. But, you know, I think he pulled it together and probably repented. But as the years went by and the blessing continued to come, more and more entitlement set in. More and more became about him and his platform. And eventually he crashed and burned. And he's out of the ministry today. And he's a lonely person, a pathetic situation, really. Didn't only lose his church, but lost his family in the process. But at one time, his motives were pure. You know, I I think of David. We were looking at, in our class this week, studying the Psalms. We were looking at Psalm 51, where, you know, that's the, the great repentant Psalm of David. It's where he's repenting before God, but it's before he's received the word of God's mercy. So he's just crying out to God for mercy. But as we're studying Psalm 51, we're going back to look at the historical events surrounding the psalm, and that's David's sin with Bathsheba, then his consigning her husband Uriah to death. And as you read that passage there in 2 Samuel, the Lord says to David, he says, He basically just goes through this list of all the things he did for him. I did all these things for you. And if this was not enough, I would have done more. And it was a situation when David was little in his own eyes, when he was humble and his motive was just to glorify God. Oh, the kingdom, it was, it was great. It was marvelous. But then it became about David. And so we read in the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel, in, in the time of the year when the kings go out to battle, David stayed home. He was above that now. He's too good for that. He didn't need to go do that. He'd arrived. He's now at a, another level. And that's when he saw this young woman bathing. That's when he invited her to his house. That's when he was told she is the wife of Uriah. And he said, oh, that doesn't matter. I'm the king. I can do what I want. And that's when it all crumbled. And that has happened over and over again in the history of the church. And it's being repeated today because men forget that it's God who does the work. 
February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. Does God really exist? And if he does, why is there so much suffering in the world? Doesn't science actually disprove the Bible? So how can we even trust what the Bible says? What proof is there that Jesus really rose from the dead? If you've ever wondered about these questions, then this month's book, Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little, will help you answer these very questions and many others. If you want to wrestle with your own questions or the questions of others about the practical implications of the Christian faith, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.